companies, I think they're inauthentically hiring people just you've, to bring their numbers. So you've heard people say that before? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've heard. I've been in conversation with uh, some execs, and they're like, you know, we're we're low on, we're low on color. <laughs> We're low on color. We're low on diversity. Can you can you start hiring some Latinos? Can you start hiring some Blacks? Can you start hiring some Asians? And I said, wait a minute. I'm like, no wonder this company you have such high attrition. What are you guys doing to maintain and keep? You know, bringing in the colors, swirling the colors is not it. You're bringing people's cultures. You're bringing me as someone who loves this, who loves Tipico, loves whatever. I'm charismatic. How do you accommodate that into this stoic, you know, company that you're running? Mi gente, dímelo, dímelo. What's good? Welcome to another episode of the Quintuera's podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know, it's your boy Pavel bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. As a reminder, on this podcast, the mission is to redefine professionalism. So we have a new guest every week to join us for a very candid conversation around their experience between professionalism and authenticity. Speaking of guests, the clip in the intro that you just heard is with this week's guest, Nancy Pineda. Before getting into the whole conversation, let me give you a quick little bio on Nancy so you have more context into who she is. So Nancy is a first-generation Dominican-American Latina born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. She started her career in the corporate financial industry in 2003 after interning in high school at American Express. She later got hired as an executive assistant and worked her way up in her 20 years working at American Express. She held different roles, including business analyst, chief of staff, business strategy manager, and project manager. She's still in the corporate finance industry, but in 2021, she transitioned to JP Morgan Chase & Company, where she is currently a project manager in the corporate investment banking division. In her personal time outside of work though, you can find Nancy trying out new eats at the gym, powerlifting, or dancing merengue, merengue típico, or bachata with her friends and family. Ya tu sabes, mi gente. To get a full bio, please be sure to check out the show notes or the episode description. Into, now that you have a bit more context into who Nancy is, let's get into this dope conversation. All right, so let's kick it off where we always start with the word authenticity. It's such a buzzword probably hear so often when you hear the word what does it mean to you though it means freedom freedom from that which holds you back to perform at your either best to be yourself but we spoke about unwinding that meaning of what happened in the past that causes you not to be your true self so i think authenticity at the helm of it is it's freedom and right. then that comes with being yourself, being your authentic self, being your true value, being vulnerable, finding your identity, bringing that forth. So early on growing up, was it easy to live in that definition? Yes, I was very Hispanic, very Dominican. My first language was Spanish. So I felt like I was operating in my authenticity within my community because I was accepted. Then going into different realms, going into school, going into middle school, going into high school, going into the workplace. That's when I was like, wait a minute, I'm, I have color. <laughs> <laughs> so tell wait so tell me about school you said middle school high school what was so different about those experiences compared to where you grew up man it was the, the beauty of that is i was around i back then 
bilingual classes were bilingual classes. Nowadays, for whatever reason, they're ESL, and there's like this weird distinction of like, if you don't speak English, then you're in whatever class. But back then, we were in bilingual classes, and I was accepted within my own community of like the Dominicans, the Colombians, Puerto Ricans. I felt comfortable, but then I started seeing different shades of colors, people of different nationalities, where now you're seeing a bit of, well, there's this whole Dominicans versus Puerto Rican thing, which was ridiculous to me, but there was that strife, being treated differently because you're a different color, your hair type is different. You don't look the same, you don't have the long straight hair, you know? So I was like, well, wait a minute, you know, you start kind of feeling, you start shrinking, like, hold on. <laughs> so that was cool for me. And what do you, you say like you were sort of like singled out, like were certain things said or was that just like a feeling? Like, tell me about that experience. I think it's more more the treatment. Mm -hmm. You don't look the same. Your hair is not as soft and straight. You're not getting mm -hmm. the same attention, right? Because again, I had like curly hair and it was pigtails and different whatever, or it was poofy. And um, it was that, ooh, okay, no. Um, I like that one better because her hair is nicer. So that treatment started early on and I think you and I kind of spoke about the family makeup too. That takes a toll too on how you respond to these things. And I'm gonna take it back, but growing up, I was a very, I was very shy. I was meek. I, I didn't speak much because I was afraid that I would look and sound silly. Mm -hmm. I was obviously, I grew up in a family, in a home, fantastic loving home, but respect for the elders was a thing, right? Like you yeah. don't speak back, you don't do these things. You don't say that. The, and that kind of seeped into even in my career when I was in school that I would take it beyond and just be quiet. Right. I and I love my family. They're they're amazing. But, you know, there's always like the aunts, and the cousins and, the, and different kind of people in your life. They're kind of like. <laughs> so when I was little, I had this uh, amazing cousin. She was little. So obviously her her mom would spruce her to say things like, you know, she would tell her daughter, like, no, you're beautiful, which is fine. You, you, you tell kid you're beautiful, whatever. But then she would come to me and say, well, my mom said that I'm beautiful and more beautiful than you and you're not. And, you know, again, I was taught, and my mom is great because my mom is a, a neutralizer. She's like, listen, there's no response to that. They're just saying all these things. So, but I, that shaped me into like being quiet, not speaking up, yeah. taking it all in. So, and I didn't know that that started taking a shape in the sense of like, okay, maybe I don't feel too pretty. I don't feel whatever. Not having the hair doesn't look pretty as the others. So going to mm -hmm. school, it was like, you know, more of a, a weight where I'm shrinking even more like, let me just be quiet. Let me not respond to this probably true yeah and and i'm curious too because like you're experiencing these certain things and obviously like we we share that with our family we're like mom this happened to me at school kind of thing and i find that the advice that our family gives us is i mean you know it varies but they typically try to pass down their survival tactics right because they want to protect us right and that's why they tell right. us not that's why they tell us to be quiet that's why they tell us to um, focused on our work or on school and stuff like that. I'm wondering, mm -hmm. like, what sort of guidance did, did you get? Growing up. So it was it was a lot of uh, do the work, your elders and others around you. Don't be too loud. Work harder. Work hard. And again, we've, uh, we can tap into this whole first-gen Latina stuff. But even that, the lack of resources, it's like you're limited to what to do, who to reach out to. So we were conditioned to just work, work hard. Um, but one thing my mom and my, my parents both actually were really good at is making sure that don't work any job, work the job that you want to be good at, right? But it was still this whole, you have to work, right? There's installation, there's this, they instill this, yeah. I don't know if this is in your family too, but 
working working hard at the cost of right this this risk this fear of like no you have to because you might be laid off you know you might be whatever so it's like whatever it is just do it keep it forever <laughs> whether you like it or not it kind of goes back to the like authority figure not speaking up or against and ultimately that authority figure sometimes is like your manager the the corporation as a whole right and they're like yo i had someone on the podcast the other day that they were literally his manager was literally pulling his hair telling him to cut it he quit his job and his mom was mad at him for quitting right it's this idea of like that's it come on they, they, he was just joking trabajando no te come on sigue trabajando you got 401k you got the benefits yeah. Focus yeah. on that. For you though, like as you start thinking about work, I'm wondering like what sort of like occupations did you see around you as well as what did you sort of like dream towards? Like what did you want to do? So funny enough, when I was little, I wanted to become a podiatrist. And this became a thing because when I was small, my dad would have me cut his fingernails. And it was a it was a whole ritual. Like there were certain days towards the end of the week, he would come from work. And he called me, he had a cute name for me. And I'll say it here because it's still cute to me. But it's Pupa. So Pupa, hey, come here and sit, you know, sit here. So I sit, you know, I'm small and here are my pigtails. And I'm here with my little, my kit. And I would cut his big old fingernails because they were big. And I'm here digging through the thing. And I thought it was fascinating. So uh, it became a whole, it was a connection thing with, between me and him. And I said, oh, this is what I'm going to become, right? I even go to high school. I go to high school, specialized to become a doctor or whatever have you. And then my older brother... <laughs> comes to me running one day. He goes, you know, I went down the block and I heard that they make this and this much. You sure you want to become a podiatrist and look at other people's feet and this and that? Because in my mind, it was just like a connection between me and my dad. Right. And I was like, man, you're right. I have to go do it to other people. I'm like, oh my gosh, it was too late. I was ready in high school for it. But they had this really cool virtual enterprise business program, which I was like, let me try that. And it's funny because when I used to take the train, at that point, I would take the train to another school in Brooklyn. And um, I would admire these women wearing these suits and the flats. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, it was like the cool flats. Nowadays, like, mm -mm. And I was like, man, how could you become that? Again, how, how can, can I ever become that? Or what is that kind of thing? And it's crazy how I, I believe in, like, sometimes you think things, you manifest things. And it's crazy how later on in life you see it. And you're yeah. like, you know, that's crazy. I was little. I was looking at that. And here I am wearing it. I was looking at this. Mm -hmm. And here I am doing it. I admire to be sitting in that podium and here I am speaking at it, right? And um, it was that kind of moment um, with fast forward, I uh, did this internship, I went to the virtual enterprise program, did this internship through high school, got hired by uh, American Express. And I left, I always say I started American Express right after high school, I grew up there. People kind of say, wait, you were there for how long? Yeah, well, like 27 years. I literally grew up there. Wow. At, yes. Right off the high school, I think that's probably the last year that they were hiring high school interns because it became a little chaotic. I mean, you got high school kids. I, I, I was, you know, I was fresh. I was, I was having fun at work when it was corporate. <laughs> I was laughing too much and it was corporate. But anyway, I got hired into it and then they kept me as an assistant and I grew up from there in many different roles 20 years later and here I am. What did it feel like for you? Like you said, transitioning from seeing the women in suits to being the woman in the suit. I'm assuming that's how you dressed up the first day. Like, were you like, mama, I'm like, you just, I made, I made it. it. Nobody could tell me anything. Made it. Get me my flats. Well, I went to Payless because, you know, we couldn't afford it back then. But I was like, let me, <laughs> me my Payless flats or my fat coat shoes. And I was like, yeah, I put it on. I felt like, man, I'm here. I'm actually in a big building. Imagine being this tall, like 17, and you're in this building. It is like... Lux galore, everything, the stores, man. I was like, I made this. 
And then I was like, oh, I made it, but why do everyone look the same? Or why am I feeling <laughs> the same? And here I am, this, you know, right, uh, Dominican. One time there was this amazing VP, love her to death, but she was a very petite Russian woman. And she comes to me and she goes, Nance, can I come to the office with me? And she had this really cool skirt, dress, whatever she had on. She goes, do I look, do I look big and fat in it? And I said, do you look what? So I said, no, I said, you, you look fantastic anyway. So I, I complimented her, but then it kind of, it was like a mirror effect. And I was like, if you think you look that way, I'm like, oh my God, right? So I was like, so there again, that whole notion of when I was a little girl and hey, I'm beautiful, I'm pretty, the, the hair, the this, the that, that crept up again. And I'm like, ooh, here we go, <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Oh yeah. So what? So what happened as a result? Did you start thinking? Did you start changing your appearance, how you dress, and any of those things? Yes, because again, it goes back to that respect factor, right? And it was like, okay, well, I have to abide by the company, whatever. I have to look a certain. Not that I wasn't dressing right, but I felt even more self-conscious because the women mm -hmm. working there were, again, it was the gym, all that stuff. I was new to the everything of that from a traditional Dominican family where you're eating rice and beans, where you're just yourself, <laughs> having fun, typical music everywhere, right? And it's like, now you're in this whole new world. You're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And body conscious, curvy women at that time wasn't a big thing. It was like, everyone was going to the gym to be very extra thin. So I was like, oh my God. So I had to, I started switching the way I looked. I, I wanted to look and blend in, even my hair. I started kind of straightening it and, and and having the, I don't know who's, who started this, but it was like the, my curls came up like this. <laughs> my hair was like up to here. And I wanted to blend in, look as much as done and maybe stop eating a little bit so I can kind of fit the bill. <laughs> wow. So not even just your like appearance in the clothes, like you started even changing your diet. Yeah, it was, I was super self-conscious. It was like, how do I fit in? Again, I wanted to be treated such just as dumb. And it goes back to mentality. So when I was in middle school and high school, it's like, how do I get treated like dumb and not ousted because you don't look like the rest? I was like, oh, I gotta, mm. I gotta be in the end group. So I have to do something to look like them and be like them. But there's only a limit, right? It's only so yeah. much you can do with the curvy body. As much as you shrink yeah. it, there's still gonna be things going on like, whoa, <laughs> that's not proportionate. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's interesting too, like you said, you started straightening your hair. So when you first went in there, you went in with curly hair? Actually, from high school, I started straightening my hair. It was a thing. It was a in thing when I was little. It was a thing of like, mm -mm, this is a little pelo malo, pelo. What? Well, it wasn't crazy bad, but it was, right. as they say, it was just curly and it was just sometimes unmanageable. So it was like, let's start straightening the thing. So again, it goes back to when I had my friends, uh, long, amazing, and the hair and all this stuff. And I'm like, I have to look like them to fit in and be cool like them. So it was already a thing. I was already conditioned by it, but maybe the styling was a little like, okay, let me just crimp it up a little bit, look more, look more corporate to fit in. Yeah. yeah, no, that's fascinating. And it's interesting too, like even like the diet or the clothes, it's not like in that meeting or that conversation, someone told you like, you need to go change, right? But we often, we just like enter a room and we just look around and we just tell ourselves that we need to change, right? Like, it's just right. like, to your point, like, we want to fit in. We want to be accepted. Well, we see everyone else, and they've probably been here for 10 years. They're VPs. They're, they have proven themselves to be successful. So if I want to be successful, I need to be like them. Like, that's the internal dialogue that we do in a matter of, like, two minutes as soon as we walk in a room. That's crazy. And that's so true because it was that internal voice 
people looking at you a certain way or even just like comments like comments yeah. also work work themselves you know kind of like oh yeah i like you i liked your hair when it was like this or or yeah your hair looks nicer this way or or those pants are a little whatever or wait what size are you you know kind of thing those little little i've, I've gotten all of it and yeah what uh, what sort of what sort of comments did people say what size are those size what size are you uh <laughs> Um, Why would somebody ask did, that though? Because they weren't understanding how that was a larger part versus the top part was smaller. So, <laughs> so people literally ask you like, "What size your pants are?" People they confianza right at work would be like, "So wait, so what? What is that like a ten? What is that like? What, so how is that this? You know?" And maybe it wasn't malintended. Maybe it was just like, but I I was getting it from different cultures, especially outside of the culture, because they weren't understanding the this proportion that there was. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's a little tough. And, I, and I'll, I'd always make it into a joke and I'm always joking around if you know me well. I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, it's, 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 I always have an issue with pants. You know, it's, I'm just, it's just the thunder thighs or whatever that I have. It's, um, it, it's the pants not conforming to my body. So I'd make everything into a joke, but that takes a toll. It did take a toll. My mom does literally the same thing. She would turn anything into a joke. It's like, and I don't know if this is for you, but for her, it's her defense mechanism. I think so too. It's that, and honestly, I just, I just enjoy life. I've come to a point. Like, well, I've always been one that I love to laugh, but I really just enjoy life. And I, and I tell people, I'm like, listen, don't even invite me to a funeral or nothing because I will find something that I will remember. Yes, yes. And we're here, like in the middle of a funeral. I was at my grandfather's funeral, matter of fact, tears and all. And this woman came up to the casket, and I don't know what she said. And my dad, with the worst, my dad, my brother, I just start like snickering and laughing in the middle of this, you know, grandpa's funeral. But I just always find joy, either humor, obviously tasteful, right? Because hopefully not the wrong time. But sure, I'm always constantly laughing. My best friend tells me, Nance, I don't know what it is, but you have this reservoir of memories. I can sit there and just start laughing. Like, do you remember this happening? And you fell this way and this and this and that. I'm simple in that way. I just love laughter my my mom is the exact same way don't invite her to a funeral she will she will find something funny to say about something to your point in a, in a tasteful way um that's interesting so what what are some other things that that stood out to you and and in you like reminiscing i'm wondering like was it all about appearance or were people also making comments or giving you feedback around maybe in the tone of what of how you say things or, or things like that like personality wise See, that's another animal too, right? They're, they're, then there comes the personality side. The, you're too charismatic. You're laughing too much. You're too nice. Too charismatic? Too charismatic. I've heard that. Too jovial. Too nice. Too nice? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've gotten that. You're too nice. Don't be naive. Which, in essence, it made sense to me because I'm like, I get it. I took the Strength Finder, Gallup Strength Finder study. And it kind of tells you the top five, five strengths. And it's funny because my, my top one is, is empathy. And I'm one that I, I care too much. I get invested. And then you got the nice part. Then you have the charismatic me being me part. And one advice that I got is like, you're too nice. You're too good to people. Not everyone is safe. Don't be naive. And it was just a bit of a wake up call. But going back to your question about, you know, how that has shown up, it's, it's, it was the physical part. It's also how you're treated. It's also being kind of looked upon when promotions came around, not being considered when you're sitting at the table, right? Your voice, but that also comes internally, right? So I kind of, it's introspective because I have to see, okay, so why didn't I speak up? Why didn't I say something? Well, you know, what can I do to also, cause it's, there's the outside factor, but then there's the factor where I have a voice. What do I do to change that? 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of not combat that, but what can I do to kind of bring about change to to that which is making me feel small? And there's that introspection. I started learning, like, okay, I cannot change the world. I can't change people's mindset. I can't change their ideals, but I can change the way that I react to it. And that was just clicking. I think it was in my in my early, you know, I'm in my 30s, in my early 30s. I just had a whole like, okay, hold on a second. Like, who am I? And just some background, I was I was married once. Um, I got married in my late 20s. And, you know, you're young, going from, I was taught to go from my house to the other house, meaning like you leave, like mom said, right? So very ingrained. So I was that. I was really into church, which I still am, but I was very rigid and came from a strong background where uh, I got into a relationship. It was just, I thought the glitz and glam, the positions in church, all that stuff, you know, when it comes to character and people being human, that supersedes the whole, like you're in church and the position. So unfortunately that didn't work out. So in the midst of that breakup, that divorce, I was like, yo, what is going on? Who am I? And one like thing you I didn't even recognize, you didn't even recognize yourself almost. You know, when you grow up in, in a certain, you know, around your community, you're that, right? You're that, you're, you're conditioned that you're that. Oh, when I moved out of my house, got married, the situation happened where I got the divorce, I was like, yo, what? So I started seeing in me the things that I am. I, I'm a very charismatic person. I'm loving, I care, I this, the way that I operate, the way that I'm in my household. You know, even my own community is like, yo, what happened? You changed. That's not you kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I always tell, yeah, folks around me, like, you wait till you leave your nest, right? Wait till you leave what's your comfort zone. You'll start noticing, man, who am I? Oh, I do like chocolate. Oh, I do like red wine. I do like this. I don't like Moscato too much. It's too sweet. But around my family, they love those sweet things. You know, it's those kind of things where I start identifying, like, who am I? So it was a great sort of introspection of, like, what is going on here? And that, that time after that, that divorce allowed me to focus on me versus letting people cast their judgments and shape me through their judgments, their expectations too right and i started whisking away i'm like wait a minute so it was a, a, a an era of, of awareness self-awareness identifying who i am being able to be comfortable with who i am around my community of people that are used to seeing me a certain way say and that seeped into work heavily because that's when i was like wait a minute <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, a little bit for my divorce, you know, I, my, I just loved, I admired Halle Berry so much until this day. And I, I, for some reason, and again, one of those things where you see something and then later on you're like, dang, how did right. I get there? And I loved her so much, um, my hair, this and that. And somehow I just, I got tired of the whole straightening the thing and the that and the whatever. So I'm like, let me start chopping over my bob to this. And I'm like, whoop, pixie. I'm like, it works out. It's easier. I wake up and it's like... Done. So that's so that's one of the first things you did to sort of maybe start this new identity where you feel very comfortable in yourself. A little bit of that started around towards the end of my marriage, and, I, and I'll emphasize that because even that was resisted. Well, you don't look beautiful anymore, or you're not, you know, pretty to me anymore, and that was that was tough. That was tough, but I said I, I'm finding that I feel good, I, and I also it's easier for me to maintain. I don't have to pay fifty dollars. At the hair salon, Fabel, every single week, I'm sure your mom, your cousins, your, <laughs> you know, there's nothing, I have nothing against it, but I was like, I'm tired of spending my Saturday seven hours in a salon. So I'm like, this thing is going. It was more functionality and it became, for me, at least beauty, but. That's um, an interesting example. That's an interesting example, though, that you shared around you making a decision for you versus someone else. That's tough. Right? 
because you made a decision for you, but someone else is telling you that in some way there's some sort of resistance. Yet you're like, yeah, but I didn't do this for you. I did this for me. And, and, and that's, that's very tough. different compared to everything you've done, you know, previously. Like, that's a big step. That is an unraveling, right? Again, growing up, respecting the elders, respecting others' opinions, being quiet, being submissive, being et cetera. It mm -hmm. literally was like a wake-up call of like, and I think I learned that honestly through corporate. So I got to give a lot of credit to Amex and amazing leaders and even female leaders who taught me how to like find my voice, find your leadership voice. I'm an executive coach who I love so much. Um, Sean, yeah, I've got a coach. I meet with him every every other Friday. Um, same thing. We had we were working together on unraveling. Like, what is going on? Why can't you speak up in a in a table full of honestly white women? Uh, white women. Yeah. I ha I had a I had interesting bosses. I had amazing bosses throughout, but then I had some like very interesting ones. And one thing I found is that working for white women, even younger, older, whatever, I always tensed up around. I didn't know what to say. I feel like I sounded silly. Even mm -hmm. talking, I feel like I sound the stupid because here comes this Dominican girl. And I always say, listen, my first language was Spanish. If I say something a little silly, like my good friend says, I'm smart in Spanish. Trust me. So <laughs> like you felt the need to pre to pre-qualify that every time. Every time. And it could be like an update. It could be just simple conversations. I was trying to find big words to sound just as right. Oh, my God. Me too. Um, <laughs> ooh, I mean, I was like, and the thing is, it's crazy because nowadays. <laughs> I think that conditioning transition, my best friend tells me, Nance, when people ask you, what are you? Because I always get the, wait, so what? Are you black with white mix? No, no, no. You're, you're, from, you're uh, from the islands or whatever. They're not only asking, what are you, like nationality? They're asking because you, you talk so corporate. <laughs> you talk so corporate. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I do? I started really, I'm like, I think I do. I think it was a conditioning of all of that training myself to sound just as smart but it just became a thing that anyway it was you said your executive coach helped you not only make yourself aware in the fact why is this so bothersome to you but also helped you get over it like what was the what helped you get over that no i belong in this room and i have a voice and they hired me for my voice let me give my voice like what got you there one with my executive coach we started unpacking like going back to childhood going back to the scenario of when i was told you're not good enough you're not pretty enough you're not this enough so he goes, there's something linked to that. And I was like, no, you know, because he'd asked me a question about my childhood. I'm like, why is he asking me all these questions? And then it made sense. He said, no, there's there's linkage to all of that, right? The fact that you're Hispanic, first-generation Latina, the fact that you lack of resources, not being able to, you know, go to school as easy as someone else, your counterpart of a different color, not being able to do how go to the same school as them because you don't have the so all that took apart and even the the culture especially the the you know women right and at least in my house Dominican women is like you know you're supposed to be cooking you're supposed to be this and if you're married you're supposed to do all these things get up before your husband all these things not to say that it's not wrong but it was just that shaped me and i didn't know that was so ingrained and so interweaved into who i am that I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And then the being quiet. And it's funny because my friends nowadays, like, how were you shy? You just know absolutely, <laughs> deathly shy talking. I felt like I sounded silly. Um, so we unpacked and unraveled that, literally going back to that. And I said, man, as we were talking to it, he started kind of just, then became the uncovering of the insecurity. My insecurities, those, those, we call them the gremlins when they would creep up saying, oh no, you're too Hispanic for that white person next to you. So he started teaching me on how to bring awareness to that and say, hold up, hold on a second, giving myself value, growing, and then even going to the divorce, finding value in that. And, and kudos to all those women, right, who 
who can get over certain things, who can go through such tough moments and still perform. Let me tell you something. When I was going through that divorce, it was tough. I was doing my schooling. I was in my last year, I think, of undergrads. I was in the honor program. I was doing all these things, but I kept that stuff aside. I kept that stuff aside. My friends in school didn't even know I was going through a divorce until way later that I told them about it. But I was like, I have to do this. I have to achieve. And I was finding my identity even throughout that. And he taught me, my coach, who you are even outside of your family. Folks around you may see you and say, hey, who? what's going on? It goes back to that notion of, like, wait, wait, we don't, you didn't grow up this way. Who are you? And it was uncovering and linking all of that to it. I said, you know what, Sean? Yeah, you know what? So it was like the aha moments. And there was many aha moments. And him and I have been working together for, woof, since I think 2016. Literally, every Friday, every Friday, we're talking. And he's an amazing, he's a white man. He goes, listen, I get it. As a white man, I might not understand, but let me tell you, he, and he has a background in working with different families and, and uh, I think social servicing. So his, his background is amazing. So him speaking to someone, of my, uh, me, like me, a caller, I learned so much from his viewpoint. He sees me from my viewpoint. And sometimes he says, Nance, tap into that white man mentality. You think they care? <laughs> you think, <laughs> you think you, you know, the way you overthink of, let me apply for this job, or if I apply for this job and I you know, then I can't say no, I have to be there and I have to be married to that job for so much, so many years. And he goes, as a white man, I get up in the morning, I'm like, ah, I'm tired of this, I'm bored of this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna apply. You know, put your emotions aside, put your empathy aside. So anyway. What would but, a white man, what would a white man do? It's that, it's, it's the, what would you do, but what would a white man do? <laughs> so he's taught me a lot along the way of like how to, you know, just see culture for what it is, the beauty of culture, but then seeing myself out of that, the identity. It's like, here you are, a glop of that, but this is you, right? You you have your identity. So it was kind of pulling me away. Not that I'm not a culture, love culture. I love Pipico. I'm Dominican to the core with a little bit of Cuban. But it's understanding like you are a person. You are you. You have your ideals. You have your taste, your palate. It doesn't always have to be influenced by the outside world. So it was, it's been a transition since literally 2016. And I just had many aha moments. I was like, forget this. I go to interviews on myself, obviously professional, but short hair, I've got my multiple piercings. I just show up as myself. And he taught me along the way how to find my voice, how to find my executive voice, how to take my, especially how to take my life back. Mm. So were you nervous going into work <laughs> as this, uh, this new person, if you will, like, oh my God, what are they going to think when I wear these piercings, <laughs> as you mentioned, or what are they going to think of a woman with short hair? Mm. Is that unprofessional? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what, what what sort of stories were you making up in your head around? Like, oh, they're going to say this, this, and that. <laughs> oh my gosh, let me tell you about that. I, I, yes, there was a lot of overthinking, but man, did it feel good when I was going through this transition? I'll tell you this: I'm going to be transparent, but. When I was, and this happened when I was at Amex, but I started getting, you know, cutting my hair short. I was like, no, that's really not. I'd go through my lunch breaks on Fridays. There was about a, a month where, like, with a few weeks span, my hair went from here to here to here to here. <laughs> and I was bold with it. And I would come back from lunches all day, <laughs> And my colleagues who were amazing, like, what happened, right? What, what's, what's going on here? And I thought, I went for a lunch break, just needed to trim. And, you know, I, I went for the Dominican trim that goes from here to like here. <laughs> And um, <laughs> so, um, but honestly, a, a sense of boldness and confidence just awoke in me, Pavel. It really, I was just tired. There comes to a point where it's like, oh, man, I'm just tired of being free. So I'm just tired that I can't do that. You know, I'm just as female at the core of this. I'm just as liable and capable and studied, right? I, I went for my, 
undergrad. Not only did I go from my undergrad, I went straight to get to my MBA. Then I got my all these certifications. I'm like, I'm just as certified. Like, why can't I? Why not? You know, so I was just getting, I was tired. I was tired of this having to look and feel the same. My body will never be looking like that. And even if I, as, even if I shrunk, and at one point I did lose a lot of weight, my mom was like, ¿Y qué te pasa? ¿Tú te estás muriendo? You know, que te ves tan languida, te ves, and I'm like, mom, like, you know, I'm here like, oh, but look, but I look prettier, right? And But I felt terrible, you know? And I was like, you forget that, forget that. Like, tired of the voices, tired of the external factors trying to shape me into who they wanted me to be. So I just started becoming bold. It was just a transition. I can't really tell you, like, there was like a one moment. It was, it was just those many moments with the help of, of, of Sean, my executive coach, and then just like transitioning in life. And I was like, forget this. And once yeah. you start working in security, you start noticing that you start seeing people differently. You start seeing people that when they speak, they're speaking out of their insecurity. They're speaking out of their expectations. So, so, so you started seeing, so you started seeing yourself in them, like, oh, they're they're still where I was back then. They're still where I was, or they're just not going to see me where I am because their mind is reframed to seeing, like, for example, a woman is beautiful if she's got long hair, straight hair. That's okay. That's that's your thinking. It's like when they say um, para lo gusto para lo gusto color, right? So imagine we all like the same man. We can't be only married to that same man. Everybody has their own taste, has their own likes. So I started seeing the world and people like that. Like I get it. Thank you, and I respect your comment. But I'm still, you know, this is who I am. And if you don't like it, it's okay because someone else will. You know, if you like my skill sets, that's fine too. If I'm not equipped. For your job, I don't look or fit the part for this position, then it wasn't for me. So I started looking at the world and that was a self-awareness, uh, again, exercise that we kept doing. It's like, remove yourself from that, see from the outside, see what's going on over there. So when I would get the comments, short hair, the this, you don't look pretty, you know, whatever, or you don't, you're not good at, or going for endless interviews for different roles and not being looked at, I'm like, I'm just not equipped for it. I get it, I don't fit the bill, I don't fit your liking, that's okay. That that's something that I actually tell people often. I often get the question because, uh, like we said earlier, naturally we all just want to fit in in some sort of space, right? So people are often like, "Well, I don't want to be my most authentic self at work because I'm scared that like I won't be accepted." And I tell people like, the rooms where people aren't accepting you, like you probably don't want to be there anyway, mm. right? And but that's a scary idea. This idea of like not everyone will accept me meanwhile the places that will accept you you're probably going to be happier there right but it's 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 terrifying it, it's really really scary yeah that's a question that i get often being authentic and not being able to fit in and you know something uh when i was going to this exercise with my coach um just in life just this realization of it a lot of the positions that i had where i was not happy is because i didn't bring my authentic self i brought i brought this version of me Right, where I thought it was gonna be digestible. Let me look prim and proper. Let me look very white. Let right. me take off my this. Let me whatever. Let me just comb it this way so it looks proper. So I'm giving them right. It's on me. I'm giving them this facade of this person that they're gonna have and accept. And then the next day I come and I'm like, all right, here's things. All right, here I am. <laughs> they're like, hold up, hold yeah. up. Where's the Nancy that we interviewed? Right. So right. it was on me. I started realizing I, uh, this is why authenticity is so important because if you show up like you're not you that inauthentic you, they're going to be expecting that person that you came up with. So this is why every, um, every day every, and every day, because it's not like I'm going to come here to my, you know, that's tough. <laughs> it's yeah. tough not being yourself. And I went through that through many years, right? I you got to put on, you got to put on that performance every day. 
oh my gosh and how heavy is that being someone that you're not yeah. it's you know, time consuming being, too it's time consuming it's expensive it's tiring yeah. it's exhausting you come home it's like you take off your whole cloak you take off your whole stuff like oh, right here you are you're, you're listening to the typical right all this stuff. that was me right da, 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 da. and then it's like oh okay wait let me put on my you know uh uh, Carrie Underwood, then whatever, spruce myself up, I'm at work, blah, blah, you know, nothing wrong. I love her music. But it was like that transition of like, whew, <laughs> it yeah. was heavy. I want to know what impact you think it had on your career. The inauthentic part? No, the, the authentic part. So like when you stopped uh, faking it and you started being yourself, like what sort of impact do you think it had on your career? People start accepting me for who I am. The people who needed to, to the, the right people who I needed to be around accepted me for who I am because I'm bringing who I am to the table. Um, and I'll tell you this, the funny part is I've been to many interviews, right? So I have a, an MBA manager of analytics and this administration. And I say this because I tend to not look apart from many people. And I've been to interviews where literally they'll look, turn the camera and I'm just there waiting, obviously, for the questions. They start asking me questions about project management and all this stuff. So I give them a whole lowdown of waterfall methodologies, of agile framework, give them answer questions on how to deal with scope creep, how to deal with gold plating, all, all these things that they thought I could not answer. And literally the woman, one of them, like put her glasses back and she looks at me in the camera, she goes, wait, so hold on, how do I have you been? <laughs> so I knew I had got the stigma of like, all right, let me see this girl, pick the hair, she probably looks like she's from the Bronx, the Bronx, all right, whatever. And literally that same person was like, um, are you available tomorrow to meet with the hiring leader? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, with the hiring leader, the hiring leader is a white woman. She's in a big time conference room. I'm in Zoom, obviously. Again, I got the same look. She kind of looks off. She goes, okay, so, you know, she's reading through the thing, literally looking down the whole time. She starts asking me questions about my background, about specific, because the job was about project management. And um, I give her a whole lowdown, a breakdown. Someone I think she was like an SVP, whatever she was. And literally the same thing, puts her glasses up, looks at, like the Zoom couldn't be that close. It's almost like she wanted to touch me through the screen, like, hold up, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so she puts her glasses up and she goes, hold on a second. I think I have a 930. I'm going to, are you available for another, to, I have more questions for you. And it was so much so that she had to invite me physically into her office so that she could see me. <laughs> and it was the same experience. Showed up. I had my piercings. I had my, and I'm a hoop I love hoops. Um, you know, nice hoops, a little bit more, you know, cooler. Came up, my authentic self. And she, it was such, such a cognitive dissonance. He was like, wait a minute, this is what you look like, but your mouth is saying this and your credentials saying this. And it's the, but honestly, I revel and I thrive in that. Cause I'm like, let me prove you wrong. Just because I look like this, I speak like this because I listen to typical. Doesn't mean that I don't have the skill sets to this, this, that, and the other. And man, is that freeing. Is it easier or more difficult the higher you go? Because I would assume that, you know, some people say, oh, well, the higher I go, the more shots that I can call for myself kind of thing. Yet there's probably a lot more to lose and a lot more eyeballs on you as well. So I'm curious, is it easier or harder the, the higher you go up? It's been getting a little tougher. Um, I know there's this whole DNI movement. It's been getting tougher in a sense because you have to keep um thriving through and saying this is me it's like when you're pushing through a crowd like hold up excuse me excuse me excuse me it feels like that it starts getting very crowded and people kind of like because they already have a certain way of thinking of doing although there's a lot of this dni movement going on a lot of corporate and yes as they're saying it's your time latin women of color etc it is but a lot of these companies are still not understanding what it is to bring a culture there's this whole again i call it the the, the DE&A movement, right? It's diversity, equity, and uh, assimilation. 
where you're you're asked to come in and come perform as how we want you, right? So I've heard of of companies where, and I've been in conversations where leaders are like, "Hey, we're low on Latinos. Can somebody hire for numbers?" So companies, I think they're inauthentically hiring people just you've, to bring their numbers. So you've heard people say that before? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've heard. I've been in conversation with uh, some execs, and they're like, you know, we're we're low on we're low on color. <laughs> We're low on color. We're low on diversity. Can you can you start hiring some Latinos? Can you start hiring some Blacks? Can you start hiring some Asians? And I said, wait a minute. I'm like, no wonder this company, you have such high attrition. What are you guys doing to maintain and keep? You know, bringing in the colors, swirling the colors is not it. You're bringing people's cultures. You're bringing me as someone who loves this, who loves Tipico, loves whatever. I'm charismatic. How do you accommodate that into this stoic, you know, company that you're running? Yeah. And then attrition is off the roof. And there's this whole situation. Well, how come we can't keep retention rate? Well, <laughs> that wasn't even part of the plan. You just wanted to bring them in. Wanted to bring them in. So, and I've been at the table where that, that conversation has ensued. And I said, well, if that's the way that you're going, that's the way that you're not flowing. That's the way that you're going to go straight down, right? That's the way you're going to, your entire company's going to plummet. It looks cute in numbers. It looks great. You have the little colors here and there, around, especially on the C-suites. It starts getting a little tighter. But it's tough because it gets tougher because you have to now continue being yourself, trying to fit in in this culture that's already kind of standardized. Well, that that's a really interesting point around this idea of like moving up the corporate ladder, quote unquote. And when companies share diversity numbers, like that's for the whole company. Mm -hmm. But as you move up, it's less and less diverse. Mm -hmm. So this idea of like us wanting to fit in, well, that in theory becomes harder and harder because it's more and more looking like white men as you go up, right? Whereas like if you're in an entry level role, maybe there's some people that look like you. Maybe there's some people where you're like, all right, I could see myself in that person. But like, it's just an interesting like visual. I didn't, I haven't thought about it till now. Well, because they're, they're running shop. Right. It's, it's for them. It's running Those are the shop decision makers. Those are the decision makers. Hiring entry level folks, you're doing, you're performing to what they want. Again, I go into the simulation connotation, right? right? The, the, Come here and, and be that. Come here, we'll accept you as your color, but now you're going to perform for me. People mm -hmm. in management levels, they're running shop. So, of course, they don't want, not that they don't want, but it's challenging to bring someone of color because here you are accepting cultures, accepting, and you're like, hold on a minute. So, yeah, it's easy to bring them in because they're performing for you. But as a manager, you're running shop. You don't want somebody, you know, this, it's tough to have someone of color, some someone of diverse background bring those ideals where it's challenging you. It's challenging, yeah. you know, your position. Oh yeah. Here you are saying that it's more difficult. So why do you keep doing it? What inspires you today? What empowers you to continue being your most authentic self despite these these things that we just discussed? Mm. I you know, I, I'm a trailblazer. I love being a trendsetter, trailblazer wherever I can. And then bringing those with me, bringing those women with me, those men too, colored men as well. I was there when I was like, how do I do that? How do I wear those shoes? Like seeing the woman in their train, right? With the, like, how can I do that? My little fingers, right? And here I am that, how could I not bring others with me? You know, and if it takes, you know, going through the criticism, going through the, the naysayers, going through the being put aside so they can see that they can do that, I don't mind taking the helm was good that wraps up another episode of the kinthuitas podcast if you enjoyed what you heard please do us a favor like share comment if you're list wherever you are listening if there's an option to leave a rating and a review please do so it will be much appreciated because the way that we're only because the way that we're going to redefine professionalism 
is by ensuring that these stories and experiences get heard by as many people as possible. We are creating empathy and awareness by, with every we are creating empathy and awareness with every experience that gets heard. Thank you and see you next time.